The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. When I uh, first met Ashley, uh, she was in her fifth year at Louisiana Tech. I was working at uh, the Wesley Foundation at Louisiana Tech. Um, and she was going through one of the most difficult seasons of her life. Um, after 27 years of marriage, her parents announced that they were divorcing. Uh, and in a moment, the world she had known up to that point in her life was flipped on its head. All the security that she had known from that family, all the, the love and joy and pleasant memories flowing from that family were in an instant taken away from her, and she was hurting, and it was visible. Um, in those early days, just talking to her, you could see uh, the pain. And one of the intriguing things about Ashley, during that time when I was just getting to know her, was this love of this obscure book in the Bible, Lamentations, and particularly the verses we're going to focus on today, Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. As her world was crashing in around her, she clung to the Lord through these verses, or maybe it's better to say the Lord clung to her through these verses. I didn't know much about her, but honestly, I'd never seen such robust faith for someone our age at that time in the midst of such robust pain. To that point in my life, I'd been spared from really any sort of pain or loss except the things that I brought upon myself because of my own stupidity. Um, But I was starting to realize as I started to be discipled uh, and to realize what it meant to follow Christ that the road before me It wasn't going to be as easy or as pleasant or as simple as I had originally hoped or expected, Uh, that this was going to be a path that was going to be long and it was going to be hard, and that I needed that sort of robust uh, faith in the midst of such robust pain, and I wanted somebody like that to do life with. And so 13 years of marriage later, two kids, seven moves, and countless jobs, Uh, the rest is history. Uh, And my hope for us this morning is that these verses— can be for us what they were for Ashley during that difficult season in her life. Because the truth of the matter is, uh, beneath the fake foyer face that we're all pretty good at putting on, there's a lot of pain in our hearts. Now, this pain may not flow from divorce. It could flow from marital struggles. It could flow from rebellious children. It could flow from losing loved ones or seeing loved ones sick. It could flow from broken dreams, shattered hopes, stress at work, a boss that just won't let you have any joy in your life. I've had that. Uh, Financial struggles, and the list could go on and on. There's as many unique sufferings as there are people in this room. But the enemy tries to do two things for us as we experience suffering in this life. He likes to tell us two little lies. One, that we're the only people with problems and pains. That's why we do community here at Norris Ferry, so you can get close life on life with other people and realize, man, we're all messed up. We're all hurting. The second lie that he likes to tell us is we are beyond hope. That our sin, our struggle, our pain, our despair, whatever it is, has pulled us from beyond God's love. That we have somehow outsinned God's grace or outhurt God's ability to heal us. And those are lies. There are, in fact, there is a healer for us and there is a hope. And that's what we're going to look at this morning Um, As we looked at Lamentations 1 through 2 last week, we saw the complete picture of the destruction and despair of the people of Israel that had come upon them. They had traveled upon the path of sin for a long time until the point they reached the judgment 
that necessarily flows from that. Jeremiah is looking out of the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, the exile of the people, and he says, your ruin, O Israel, is as vast as the sea. The picture is standing on the edge of the shore looking out at the ocean where all you could see is ocean. There's nothing else even beyond what we can see. And so Jeremiah, as he looked out on the people of Israel, all he could see was destruction. In fact, it was the case every physical manifestation of the Lord's presence with them was gone. The temple was in rubble. The city was in ruins. You could almost see smoke rising from the city and the people. You can almost imagine them being lined up and led into exile into Babylon. So he says, your destruction is, your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? And this week we see there is a healer. There was a healer for Israel back in 586 BC, and there is a healer for us. It's the Lord. The Lord is our healer and our hope. And we practically experience his healing and renew our hope by reflecting on three great truths. He loves us. He has endless mercies for us and his faithfulness is great towards us. The Lord is our healer and our hope and we practically, tangibly, physically experience his healing and renew our hope as we reflect upon his great steadfast love for us his endless mercies for us, and his great faithfulness towards us. So let's look at his steadfast love for us. Look at Lamentations 3, 21 through 22. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The but there at the beginning of Lamentations 3, 21 is important. It reminds us, that Jeremiah is calling to mind the steadfast love of the Lord and the complete destruction of the people of Israel. That was the context. He's not in some cushy place just abstractly thinking about God's love. He is in the midst of despair and pain. And last week in Lamentations 1 through 2, we saw through several verses the despair of the people of Israel that they felt in the wake of judgment. But here in Lamentations 3, 1 through 6, we get a picture of the personal pain that had caused the prophet Jeremiah. Look at Lamentations 3, 1 through 6. Jeremiah explains his despair like this. I'm the man who has seen affliction. Under the rod of his wrath, he has driven and brought me into darkness without light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. And here we can find some commonality with the prophet Jeremiah. To different degrees and for different reasons, we all have experienced this sort of despair. Despite the relative comfort that we live in this country We live in a fallen world and we experience pain. We experience suffering to the point that at times it feels like we dwell in darkness without light. At times it feels like the hand of the Lord has been turned against us again and again. At times the struggles and the heaviness of the circumstances of our lives weigh in us on us to such an extent that we feel like our skin, our flesh is wasting away and that our bones have been crushed. Sometimes the misery and despair of life in this fallen world can come upon us to such an extent that all we feel is bitterness and tribulation, that that is our lot in life. Jeremiah in Lamentations 3, 1 through 6 isn't afraid 
to give full vent to the pain in his soul. And we should learn from him here. One commentator has encouraged us to learn from Jeremiah on this point. He says, The frankness of the language and lamentations should persuade people that God is open to real feelings and their honest reactions to tragedy. The Lord is open to real feelings and honest reactions to tragedy. If you'll notice, the more you grow in your faith with Christ in this sort of context, the more polished things become. The more we like to smooth out our rough edges in communities, our prayers get kind of cleaner, get kind of tighter. But Jeremiah here isn't concerned about coming to the Lord with smooth edges. He comes rough edges and all and gives full vent to the pain in his soul. And, and so should we. We should come to the Lord and be real with him. Just think about it. The Lord knows everything. He knows our every thought, our every emotion, our every pain, our every weakness. He's not wanting us to come to him pretending that we've got it together more than we do. He wants us to be real with him. Jeremiah doesn't have this problem. He's not a North American Christian. Uh, he gives full vent to the pain in his soul, and it climaxes in Lamentations three seventeen through 18. Lamentations three seventeen through 18. Jeremiah says this, My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. And so I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. The all-consuming pain and despair that flowed from Jerusalem's destruction and the exile of the people of the Lord from the promised land weighed on Jeremiah to such an extent that he says, peace is a distant memory. Happiness was a foreign concept. Endurance was no more. All hope was gone. And so the encouragement is this. If you come here this morning and peace is a distant memory for you, happiness is a foreign concept. You have nothing left in your tank. You're empty. It took everything you could to get here, get a cup of coffee, and just come to hope that somehow your tank could be refilled. If hope has been replaced with despair, then you're in good company. That's right where Jeremiah, the author of this book of your Bible, was when he penned these words. But we're encouraged not to stay there. Like Jeremiah, we're encouraged to say, but, but, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Everything is lost, but I still have hope because God loves me. Just think about this for a minute. We sing about it a lot. We say it a lot. But just reflect on the fact that the God of all creation, the creator of everything that we see and everything beyond what we can see, the God who opened his mouth spoke and everything came into existence. He loves us. The scriptures say he, he knows everything, every hair on our head, all of our weakness, all of our failings, and yet... He loves us. The God of all creation loves us. And when we really think about it, when we really think of the fact that at the heart of all creation is the God, the creator who created all of it, and he knows me and he loves me, if we really think about it, it sounds too good to be true. I mean, how can that be true? How can it be that a God who knows everything, who knows my sin, who knows my darkness better than I know it myself, how can it be that he loves me? How can I be certain that that is true. How can I be certain that God loves me? And we have certainty in God's love for us because 
of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only hope in experiencing the love of God. And in fact, it is a perfect hope. Wayne Greedham says this, God's love means that God eternally gives of himself to others. God's love means that he eternally gives himself to others. I love that. The God of all creation, the God who is worthy of all glory and honor and praise, the only one who is worthy of glory, honor, and praise, who is worthy of receiving everything for all of eternity, gives himself to others. God loves us. We can be certain of his love for us because he eternally gives of himself to us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We see this in one of the most familiar passages in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loves us, and we can enjoy that love by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. John Piper puts it like this, that God in eternity looked upon me for seeing my fallenness, my sin, my pride, and said, I want that man in my family. I will do anything to get that man in my family. I will pay for that man to be in my family with the blood of my son. He says, that's love. He describes it as mega, off-the-charts love. The message of the gospel is a message of God's mega, off-the-charts love for us. Through the work of Christ, the debt we owed was paid. Through the resurrection of Christ, the enemy we could never defeat was defeated, and the righteousness we could never earn, if left our own devices, was credited to us, so that the God of all creation who knows us perfectly can look at us through the work of his Son and declare us to be holy, blameless, and above reproach. He can declare us to be his sons and daughters because of the perfection of his Son. That's the gospel. To the extent we believe that, to the extent that the love of God, the steadfast love of God that never ceases becomes real to us, we can join the psalmist in Psalm 36.5 who declares, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your steadfast love extends to the heavens. So we can look honestly at the circumstances of our life the heaviness, the brokenness, the despair, and say, yeah, like Jeremiah said of Israel, our ruin may be as vast as the sea. But we have a healer, and his name is Jesus, and he loves us, and his love for us extends to the heavens. Our ruin may be as vast as the sea, but his love for us extends to the heavens. In other words, his love for us, his steadfast love that never ceases is greater than our suffering and our despair. His love is greater than our despair. No matter how dark, how heavy, how painful, how hopeless our circumstances may be this morning, the truth remains. We have a healer and we have hope. And we experience that healing and hope as we reflect upon his love for us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We also experience his healing and renew our hope as we reflect upon his endless mercies for us. Look at Lamentations 3, 21 through 23. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. 
God's mercies for us, if we're in Christ, never come to an end. They are new every morning. Wayne Grudem says this, God's mercy means God's goodness towards those in misery and distress. God's mercy is God's goodness towards those in misery and distress. And really, that is the whole story of the Bible. It's God in his goodness meeting people in their misery and distress. He met Adam and Eve in the wake of the fall, in their misery and distress flowing from the fall, and in his goodness promised to restore everything lost and promised to crush everything that opposed him. He met Israel in their slavery in Egypt, in their misery and distress flowing from that slavery, and in his goodness sent them Moses, a deliverer, and sent them after a long and painful journey to the promised land. He met King David, the second king of Israel, in his, in his misery and distress flowing from the adultery with Bathsheba and killing of her husband. In his goodness, he extended forgiveness to him. Read Psalm 51. It's one of the most powerful expressions of God's goodness to someone in misery and distress. And he met Jeremiah and the people of Israel in their misery and distress flowing from the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile. And in his goodness, called to their mind his love, his mercy, and his faithfulness. And he meets us today in our misery and distress and extends his goodness to us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to bear our misery and distress on a cross. Look at Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. We read this last week. Surely he, that's Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Surely Jesus has borne our misery and distress. How? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or judgment that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. God is merciful to us. His mercies never end because the restoration and healing secured by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ never come to an end. They are new every morning. And so we experience his mercy in Christ new every single morning. For all of eternity, it will be true that all of our sin, past, present, and future, was laid upon the shoulders of Christ as he hung upon that cross. For all of eternity, it will be true that all of the wrath that we deserved after rebelling against an infinitely holy God was poured out and satisfied through the death of Jesus Christ. For all eternity, it will be true that as Jesus rose from the dead, death was defeated and the righteousness that we could never earn on our own merit was credited to us so that we could be called sons and daughters. The resurrection and the death of Christ healed us, purchased us, redeemed us, and reconciled us to God. These are eternal truths. These truths aren't changed by our performance. They're not more true for us when we have a good day, when we're a good Christian. They're not less true for us when we have a bad day, when we are a bad Christian. They're the same. If we are in Christ, we can never exhaust the mercies of our God. Now, we shouldn't try to do that, but we can never exhaust the mercies of our God if we are in Christ Jesus. In describing God's mercies as being new every morning, Jeremiah gives us a great gift of a physical reminder of the newness of his mercies. With every sunrise, we can be reminded anew of God's mercies towards us. As we're driving into work early, finishing that first cup of coffee, groggy, 
and we see the sun rising in the horizon, we can be reminded, yes, God's mercies are new to me today. As we go on an early morning jog, which I know we all did this morning, uh, and we see the sun rising, we can be reminded anew of God's endless mercies towards us. As we go on vacation and we look at a sun rising over mountains or a lake or over the ocean, we can be reminded anew right there of God's endless mercies towards us that never cease, that never come to an end, that are new every morning. As God fills the sky with light, with the sunrise, we can ask God to fill our hearts with the light of the gospel truths, that his mercies are new to us every morning. Andrew Peterson reflects on the newness of God's mercies every morning like this in a song, Isn't It Love? He says this, and when I think about that prodigal son, I got a smile when I see that old man run. And I know that you love us just the same. Why? Because the sun came up today. The fact that the sun came up, that you had breath, that you got dressed and came here to church is proof that God's mercies towards you are never ending, that they are new every morning. No matter how dark, how heavy the circumstances of your life may be, the truth remains that we have a healer, that we have hope. And we experience that healing and hope, a renewal of our hope, as we reflect upon his steadfast love for us, his endless mercies to us that are new every morning, and finally, on his great faithfulness. Look again at Lamentations 3, 21 through 23. We're trying to drive these verses into the core of our being. Lamentations 3, 21 to 23. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And great is your faithfulness. God's faithfulness has been described as God's perfect loyalty and consistency to being true to his name, his character, and his word. In other words, God's great faithfulness means God will always do what he said he's going to do in a way that perfectly reflects who he is. God's great faithfulness means he always will do what he said he's going to do in a way that perfectly reflects who he is. Our God is a great and faithful God. And we've all seen pictures of faithfulness in our lives. One of my pictures uh, that I think about quite often is my grandparents. Uh, it was a joy to go to all of their uh, funerals, sad that they died, but a joy to go to their funeral uh, and really celebrate a life of faithfulness. Uh, between uh, the two sets of my grandparents, when they died, they had a total combined of 100, over 110 years of marriage. A hundred and 10 years of marriage. That is a long time. That's faithfulness. Uh, Ashley's grandfather, I said 50 years in the first service, we were corrected, just celebrated 65 years in vocational ministry. 65 years in vocational ministry. I just finished two last week, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. At 65 years, that's faithfulness. Those are great pictures of faithfulness. It's blessings for us to see faithfulness just pictured for us by the generations that have gone before us. But these are imperfect pictures. As the author of Hebrews said, these are, these are shadows. These are shadows of the perfect faithfulness of our God. Human beings are anything but perfect. If you knew my grandparents, you know they were great men and women, but they were not perfect. 
Uh, but God, our God, is perfect. And so his great faithfulness is perfect. He will always do what he says he's going to do in a way that perfectly reflects who he is. So it's fair to ask, what has he said he's going to do? Well, the Bible's a big book. He's promised to do a lot of things. Uh, But one of the key promises, as we mentioned, is Genesis 3.15. In Genesis 3.15, in the wake of the fall, as the curses are being pronounced because of the fall, God makes a promise of restoration. He promises that one day an offspring of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. In other words, one day he would crush everything that opposes him and restore everything that was lost in the fall. And as we work through the Old Testament, we're tracing the progressive fulfillment of this promise, and then we get to the gospel of Matthew and see that the restoration promised in Genesis 3.15 was fulfilled through the cross, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For in the cross, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God dealt a fatal blow to everything that opposed him and started, commenced the great and final work of restoration that was promised in Genesis 3.15. Now, we'll have a full experience of that in the new heavens and new earth. That's next week. But the work has begun. So how can we know we will experience God's great faithfulness? Well, because of the gospel. Jesus fulfills all of the promises that God has made. They are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so we experience that fulfillment by grace through faith in who he is and what he has done. Everything that Christ has done for us in the past cannot be undone. Everything that Christ is doing for us in the present cannot be hindered, and everything that Christ will do for us in the future cannot be prevented. God will do what he promised he said he was going to do, and he will do it in a way that perfectly reflects who he is. Paul puts it like this in Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, no doubt, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The Lord will complete the work he has started in all of us. If you're in Christ, God has started a work in you. And if you're in Christ, it's God that will complete that good work. John Piper asks these provocative questions to help us really understand what this means practically for us. He asks this, what makes you think that you'll wake up a Christian tomorrow morning? What makes you think that you'll have the same faith tomorrow morning that you have right here in this room? What makes you think that you will believe in Jesus rather than not believe in Jesus tomorrow morning? Very practical question. Is it because of us? Is it something in us? Is it because we're so faithful, we're so strong, that no matter what life throws at us, man, we're going to believe in Jesus and follow him and persevere? Man, I hope not. The perseverance, our perseverance, doesn't ultimately depend on our faithfulness, but rather our God's great faithfulness. Cayman's call put it like this. If, we were, if our perseverance depended on our faithfulness, man, we're in trouble. And Cayman's call realized this and reflected it in a song called Shifting Sands. Some of you guys may remember it. It's old school. It was in my college days. Uh, it says this. My faith is like shifting sand. Changed by every wave. My faith is like shifting sand, so I stand on grace. It's a great picture, isn't it? Our faith really is like a sandcastle. The waves of life come across the sandcastle, and what happens? Man, it's flat. (laughs) 
If our perseverance depends on our faithfulness, we're in trouble. But the good news of the gospel is that it doesn't. Our perseverance depends on the great faithfulness of our God, which will produce in us faithfulness and perseverance. God's faithfulness to us is so great that Paul says nothing can separate us from him. Nothing. Once we are joined in Christ, once God creates, begins this good work in us, there's nothing that can prevent it from being carried out. Paul says this in Romans 8, 31 through 39. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. And all these things are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, again, I am sure, I am certain of this, that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, and all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is faithful. He always does what he said he's going to do in a way that perfectly reflects who he is. He's begun a work in us, and he has promised it to bring it about to completion at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from that truth. Nothing. No tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, death, life, angels, rulers, powers, height, depth, or anything else. Nothing, if you are in Christ, can prevent the Lord from faithfully completing the work that he has begun in us for his glory and our good. If you're in Christ, and you think that your faithlessness has somehow precluded you from God's faithfulness, the message of this text is that you are mistaken. If you are in Christ this morning, there is nothing that can separate you from his faithfulness. There's nothing that can separate you from his love. There's nothing that can prevent the work he's begun in you to be completed. This is a life-changing truth. And once we believe this, to the extent we believe this, we can really sing and I, I can just imagine my grandfather, Broadmoor Baptist, singing this at the top of his lungs and the voice that the Lord had given him, which wasn't that great. But I can imagine him singing this. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. The Lord is our healer and our hope. And we physically, tangibly, practically experience that healing and hope as we call to mind his love for us, his endless mercies towards us, and his great faithfulness to complete the work that he has begun in us. We experience God's love through the person of Christ. Because God loved us, he sent his son to die the death we deserve so that we can have the righteousness that we could never earn. We said last week, Christ bore the curses we deserve so we could enjoy the blessings that we don't. God's mercy is ours through Jesus Christ Every morning we can be assured anew that his mercies are new for us that day. 
God's faithfulness is ours in Jesus Christ because Jesus fulfills all of God's promises and we experience, we partake of that fulfillment through faith by grace in who Jesus is and what he has done. And to the extent we believe this, to the extent we believe that the God of all creation is our healer, then we can have renewed hope in his love, mercy, and faithfulness for us. We can join Jeremiah in the context of destruction and say this in Lamentations 3.24 with him, the Lord is my portion. It's another powerful picture. Imagine a table set before us and everything that the world has to offer is placed on there. Power, wealth, success, family, being thought well of a good reputation and whatever your thing is. And slowly, one by one, each of those things is taken off the table until all that's left on the table is what we have in Christ. His love, his mercy, and his faithfulness. That's exactly what happened to the people of Israel in 586 B.C., Every physical manifestation of the Lord's presence with them, everything that the people valued and treasured was destroyed, was taken away. Their land was no more. They were sent into slavery. And Jeremiah looks out on this and says, your ruin is as vast as the sea, but I have a healer. And I'm going to reflect, call to mind his love, his mercy and faithfulness, and that's enough for me. The Lord is my portion. That's what impressed me about Ashley 14 years ago when we met. Her life, everything that she had known, the stability she had known to that point was turned upside down. Everything seemed to be crashing in on her. But as we met for coffee and had lunches and got to know one another, again and again we came to these verses and she could say with tears in her eyes, the Lord is my portion. He's enough. The Lord is my portion. And my prayer for us is by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit through the ministry of this word which never returns void that that would be true of us, that we could say in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our despair, we could say with faith we have a healer and we have renewed hope because his name is Jesus and he loves me. His mercies are new every morning with every new sunrise and his faithfulness to me is great. Great is thy faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, would that be true of us? Would your Holy Spirit do what only he can do? Would he give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of the gospel in the midst of the pain of living in a fallen world? Lord, would the reality that we have hope and healing and that our hope and healing has a name, Jesus Christ, who died the death we deserve so that we could live a life for all of eternity with our Father that we don't deserve because of the righteousness that was freely given to us by grace and through faith. Lord, we come here, we're hurting, and so as the author of Hebrews encouraged us, Lord, we're going to draw now in this last song with confidence to your throne of grace, Lord, in these next few minutes so that we could find grace and mercy in our time of need. Lord, would you pour out your grace and mercy upon us, bring healing to our souls as your spirit makes real to us the fact that you love us, that we can't exhaust your mercies and that your faithfulness is greater than we could ever imagine. You will complete the good work 
that you've started within us. We praise your name. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Be glorified, Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.